Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends, and happy Monday. How are you doing? If you are in the UK, I hope you have been enjoying the glorious weather. Um, I said I would stop starting with the weather, but it's just been so lovely this week. I've been to the beach twice, two different beaches, two of my favourite beaches. I've uh, seen some friends for walks and just been really able to to enjoy nature, which I, I know you can do anytime. But there's just something glorious being in the sunshine by the sea. Um, this, today I've walked by the lake, by the river. It's um so good for the soul, I think. So wherever you are, um, I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you have been listening to some of the awesome advice that we had last week about that self-care and the importance of that. So massive thank you to Philippa that joined us on Monday and Hem who joined us on Wednesday. I really enjoyed those conversations and really appreciate them joining us and sharing with us. And so today we are um, another awesome conversation and and slightly different. So um, I'm sure this is maybe something that I've mentioned before, but I'll mention now my background kind of um, coaching, as I talked about, I said background, actually, that's more of a kind of newer development, but in um, education and particularly working with young people on the autistic spectrum. So it is a topic similar to mental health, mental well-being that I'm really passionate in talking about. Uh, challenging misconceptions around raising awareness around that kind of thing um and I know we've had previously on the podcast Sam Mitchell on uh, who joined us who is autistic and was sharing his experience actually Sam and his mum Gina joined us um and so today we are joined by Alicia who is on the autistic spectrum herself um, and is also the parent of children multiple children on the spectrum so we are diving into neurodiversity and autism a little bit, parenting, and there's a saying, um, I I can't remember where I heard it from, <laughs> heard it, but a saying kind of in education and um, teaching young people who are autistic that something that is best practice for a child on the spectrum is best practice for all children. You know, when you have a classroom that is accessible, a classroom that is inclusive, a classroom that is really taking into consideration individual needs and being accommodating and accepting, that is great for all children and all young people. And that has always been my approach kind of in that sort of space and in my coaching when I coach people who are neurodiverse as well. And so parenting as well, I think that the same is true that actually there is so much I think generally from any any parent and I says as a non-parent <laughs> of um, learning from other parents experiences learning from their perspectives so if you're kind of listening to this and thinking well I don't I'm not interested in autism or I don't know anyone on the spectrum or you know it's not relevant to me or whatever um, I think it's a really great conversation if you are a parent to to um know to hear the kind of parenting perspective and advice I think it is a great episode for for raising that awareness and that understanding 
of something um that that actually there may be people that you know uh, or could parent or yourself might be on the spectrum and you know so I, I just think if you're listening to this and thinking oh well this isn't kind of well-being in, in the in the same way we still have the same set questions and that but I think it's such a great conversation and as I said something I'm really passionate about having conversations and challenging misconceptions around autism as well as mental well-being so I really enjoyed this conversation with Alicia and I really appreciate her for joining us and sharing her experience and perspective with us So that's it for me for now. Let's dive in to this conversation. Hi, everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest, Alicia, to the podcast. So Alicia, welcome. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, yes, thanks for having me. So yeah, my name is Alicia Trotwine. Um, I am an autistic mom to four children, three of which are also autistic. I run a website uh, to help parents with autistic and neurodiverse children kind of navigate the ins and outs of parenting children, both with special needs and without. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm so happy to have you here um, and to, to kind of hear more about um, your experience and your experience kind of parenting. Um, I don't really know where to start. So many questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess maybe... Um, if we start with parenting a child that is neurodiverse or, or on the spectrum, and do you find that there are similar kind of things that lots of parents are looking for support around or, ha- or kind of common questions or concerns that their parents have? Yeah, you know, a lot of the concerns are just learning to navigate the world and trying to figure out what supports their children need. And, you know, for those of us with multiple children that are neurodiverse, trying to balance their needs because just because they're siblings doesn't mean that their needs are exactly the same, mm-hmm. you know. And so a lot of times are very conflicting needs and trying to balance those needs within your own household. And then once you've left the household, and so those are typically the areas where most parents just they're always looking for that support of just understanding what it's like from a parent's perspective too, not just the doctor saying, "Oh, here's the diagnosis. Here's your therapy recommendation." They want to know, well, what's it like to parent? you know, a child with different needs and having that sense of community. Yeah. I think that, uh, as you said, that balancing, because it's a, a phrase that um, I've heard, people heard that if you've met one person who's autistic, you've met one person who's yeah. autistic. And, you know, people kind of think, oh, well, autism. Yeah, I kind of, I know what that is, but actually it, it can be so, so different for, for each person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with our, you know, within our own household, there's four autism diagnoses. And while there are, you know, obviously similarities, some basics of the diagnosis that are similar across the board, how things affect each one of us can be very drastically different from just the different, you know, my, our youngest is six and he is just, you know, we laugh and say he's like a little beast. He's just giant and he's, you know, a big boy, but then he's, you know, just healthy big, just, you know, and he's all boy and he's crashing and he wants to jump in, jump on things and move. And, you know, I have another one of my daughters who's very much sensory avoiding, like, don't, don't touch me, don't come near me, you know? And so their needs are very different and they're, even though their diagnosis is very similar. And so trying to balance those type of things can be hard in general with any siblings that don't, you know, that aren't identical in how they respond to things, you know, it's hard enough. You, then you add other things like diagnosis on top of that. It does make it a balancing act for sure. 
Yeah. So how do you manage that? How do you balance those those two kind of competing needs? Yeah, a lot of it. Well, one, we have a big vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep uh, everybody from, you know, being on top of each other. <laughs> that, that alone helps. Um, but a lot of times it's just making sure that each child's individual needs are met. You know, we do have, you know, all sorts of different sensory toys, you know, a trampoline and back. And uh, we even have a ball pit, which is kind of, which is really fun um, for the kids to jump in. And then we also, each child has their own room and space that they can go into that unless they invite a sibling in, you know, the siblings aren't allowed into just so that they can have their own personal space to retreat to, to calm down, mm. to get those different needs. So if somebody is being extremely noisy, they can go to their room and they can uh, calm themselves down. And, you know, it's just it's learning to make sure everybody gets their own individual needs met while trying to balance your own needs as a parent. That part's the hard part. But, and then working on practicing, you know, understanding. You know, it's a great place to start is at home is teaching them to understand that everybody's needs are different. And sometimes we have to do things that are kind of helpful to others and not just ourselves. Mm. I think for any parent, that's a really good message to be passing on to their to their children because we all have different needs, whether we, we are neurodiverse or whatever. Do you find that you get um, a lot of judgment from other families who maybe aren't neurodiverse where they're not, you know, having that, that same lesson of everyone has different to some degree, I think we have in the past. I mean, we, my, after, you know, receiving, you know, several diagnoses within the family, there comes a point where you're, you're so focused on taking care of what needs to happen within your own home that you get to where you realize like somebody else's opinion really doesn't matter. Mm. And that's hard as a young parent that in general, it doesn't matter whether your child has a diagnosis or not, understanding that, you know, your focus on is on you and your family and not what other people think of your family. Mm -hmm. And so we've come across things, you know, obviously, and we still do every so often, but it doesn't affect me the same way anymore. Yeah. And so it's just learning to, you know, kind of balance that and also just be an understanding. We've explained our kids that, you know, some of our rules, some other families might not have, and that's okay. That's between them and their parents, but this is what we're going to do. Mm. Yeah. And do you find having that clarity uh, with your kids really helps them to sort of understand this is what we do and this is why we do it. Yeah, absolutely. And having open communication in general, I mean, with any child, you know, there obviously there's a fine line of where how much you tell your kids on certain things, but for the most part, having open communication so they know they can come to you on questions and that, you know, you try to be as clear as you can on why doesn't, doesn't mean that it needs to be a detailed reason, but this is sometimes the answer is because that's our family rule, but you know, having a set here's the expectations, it makes it easier for everyone, parents included. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm not a parent, but I, you know, I can imagine anything that makes it easier for parents is is a win. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how do you find it um, as a parent who is autistic yourself? How is that, you know, having time for yourself, managing your own needs as a parent and also being on the spectrum oh it's it's so essential for any parent um especially those with, uh, children with special needs but any parent in general to time find time for themselves and you know one of the big things i've always you know explained to people is that that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go on a spa trip you know i mean <laughs> that would be nice don't get me wrong uh, but sometimes it is finding five ten minutes a day to spend by yourself. Even I, I joke with, I don't, I do it. I don't joke on it saying that even if it's five minutes where you lock yourself in the bathroom and 
just so that, you know, if that's the one place that no one's going to bother you for a couple minutes, then so be it, you know, but spending some time just to focus on yourself, calm down, you know, whether it's whatever it's reading, going for a walk, taking a nice bath, something like that to focus on yourself every day gives you that ability to be able to take care of others. Because when we don't focus on our own well-being, there's nothing of us to give to other people anymore. And so it's so important to take care of yourself, just, you know, and even as a parent without any needs, that's hard enough. Uh, yeah. Then you add, you know, having your own um, unique needs, you know, it's understanding to give yourself grace and just that things aren't going to be perfect. You know, you, you can have your expectations and your rules, but things are going to happen. You're going to respond incorrectly or your kids are going to do something opposite of what you expect and it's going to happen. And it's just kind of learning to give yourself that grace and acceptance that that's okay sometimes yeah and, and how did you find um when you first became a mother because that's in my head and I'm very much uh I need my personal space and I don't really like people touching me too much that's kind of my sensory thing and it is something that does concern me that kind of thinking about potentially having children of actually will I be able to manage it kind of mentally and with my needs and so um, yeah, how did you find that? It definitely overwhelmed me. I would say that the toddler years are the hardest because that's when children in general are very much you're going to have physical contact with if you want it or not. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it is different that, you know, when it's your own children, you there's a connection that you've built with your child. And so there's a little bit more understanding. It's also having, you know, whether it's a partner or the family to help support you, to give you that time to kind of reset uh, you know, having routines in place is always essential too, because if your kids, if having your kids go to bed by a certain time, isn't just beneficial for them, it's also beneficial for you. And so if bedtime is seven or 8 PM, you know, according to age of the child, what time you have to get up then, you know, and your bedtime's not till nine, 10, well, that gives you two, three hours in which they're in bed, they're already asleep, that you have time to reset as well. Mm. And so it, it's definitely a balancing act. It, it changes throughout your children's developmental stages because you know like when they're babies obviously they don't do much they're cute they you know they eat and they poop and sleep and that's about it you know yeah. <laughs> and so there's not a lot of I mean it's overwhelming don't get me wrong it's very overwhelming especially for new you know right away in the first baby I mean that's a you've gone from like you said be taking care of just yourself to now this little life dependent on you for everything and then when they're toddlers they want to be independent <laughs> which you also don't want to have <laughs> and so there's just a balance in act. And then by the time they're teenagers, they don't want to touch you at all half the time. So, you know, and they just want to avoid you because they're teenagers. And so, yeah, it's definitely, it's a journey. I mean, that's the biggest thing, but it, you also, you kind of learn more about yourself along the way too. Awesome. Yeah. I, it's funny because I think, um, you know, talking to some parents, like the toddler years comes up as a difficult time. And then the teen years, I'm like, I've got a lot of experience with teenagers and I love kids. I love hanging out with, you know, that sounds weird, but <laughs> from being a teacher, you know, with, um, with teenagers, but yeah, I think it's that, you know, those questions about whether you'll be able to have the balance. Um, but anyway, it's not about me. I'm just like picking your brains about, um, everything. Um, tell me about your, um, your blog. Yeah. So I started a website several years back. I didn't remember what year anymore. <laughs> um, but because we had, I had gotten into the whole mummy blogging thing, you know, 
when my kids are young and I kind of had it just sitting out there. But as we started getting through the diagnosis process for my children, I started to decide and said, well, we're going to share this in case, you know, it helps one person along the way, you know, not thinking much of it on that other than the share. And then after we started receiving our kids diagnosis, I started looking up information on having multiple children on the spectrum, having autistic girls. And at the time, there really wasn't a lot of information out there. And I did, there was a couple uh, people sharing their stories um, on sharing multiple children on the spectrum, but there really wasn't a lot website-wise to find on autistic girls. And so I decided at that point that we're going to, you know, share our story, but also the research I find along the way too. And so as I've learned things, you know, whether it's talking to different doctors throughout the world, different advocates, things like that, you know, sharing our journey and sharing the answers to the questions that we've had. And then the answers to the questions that others have presented to me as well. Like, Hey, I don't know where to find this information. Have you come across this? And I've always thought, well, if one person asks it, then there's probably thousands more behind them that just haven't vocalized it. Mm. And so we started sharing a little bit of everything when it comes to parenting, whether it's, you know, directly related to autism or ADHD or any kind of special needs or just parenting in general, because at the end of the day, all children are still children. And there are some universal needs that come up that you just have to learn to work through. And so having that, those short snippets of information for parents to digest in those couple minutes they have a day at most was kind of key to get that information out there for everyone. Yeah, amazing. And we'll absolutely link to your website in the show notes so that people can check out the work. And I had a little nose before we came on and there's so much information on there. Um, but I wonder if we could just do a couple of the common questions that I imagine that people might have if they're... Um, parents um around children and I guess maybe the first one is sort of recognizing signs that then that maybe your child is on the spectrum so I don't know if you can share a little of you know before you started that that um process to get diagnosis yeah so you know one of the biggest things there's kind of misconception especially when it comes to autism that you know it's either one way or the other you know for some children you know they really are nonverbal to the point that they've never spoken while others will lose all speech and others will also have speech delays. And so for, you know, for our son, he was speaking fine. Um, we, had, we had other red flags of autism along the way, but he was speaking, I mean, through his 18 month appointment, but then at 19 months, he lost all words. Mm. And so he had that severe regression that a lot of people hear in autism. And, you know, with our daughters, it was completely different. Um, You know, one of our daughters was overwhelmingly verbal. She, you know, spoke, she had some speech delays in how she spoke, but there was, she was speaking. She never really lost words. And then um, our middle child between the two of them, she kind of spoke in her own language. It was pretty cute. It was kind of funny. And so, you know, and people look at it that way, like, well, she was speaking, but she wasn't. So how did nobody notice? Well, it's because my daughter, her sister was talking for her. She'd translate for us. And, you know, we had, there's different signs according to gender a lot of times that while they're the same signs, they're just, they present differently. But a big thing is just realizing that they're not catching on to their social, emotional, you know, regulations off that though they're not having those, you know, like I say, obviously any type of regression that's a huge one. I mean, that's a giant red flag uh, for our kids. You know, it was, we had a lot of other issues as well at the same time. So we had a lot of sleep issues, a lot of um, emotional dysregulation to where they just really weren't able to 
um, handle uh, pretty much any sensor, sensory extra stimuli going on. And so we just had kind of a very, I mean, with our son, he was more the traditional type signs when it comes to it. He was very much the, you know, he liked wheels. He focused on lining up all of his toys and organizing them in certain ways and you couldn't move them out of spot. Whereas our daughters, they had very similar things but they presented in a different way. So it was having tons of stuffed animals and always having to have their stuffed animals in their bed a certain way. But a lot of times people look at that like, oh, that's just a girl thing. Well, it's the extent to which they did it. Um, eye contact for us, um, ours was off and on because our girls, they seem to have eye contact. They just seem to be busy as if they were running around all the time. So you weren't catching the eye contact, so to speak, because they were so busy. Um, whereas our son, I never had, eye, I didn't have eye contact until probably the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, just because even from day one of being born, he was a breastfed child and there was no eye contact. And so that that was something, you know, I noticed that he'd look around my face, but there was never any, any near, near eye, you know, thing. But so it's kind of one of those things where it's just noticing that there's something not developmentally correct, mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be something necessarily extremely severe, but just something enough to raise concerns. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And um, you mentioned about your girls being quite different and autism and girls being, being quite different. Uh, could you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. And so a lot of the things that with girls that would, if you looked at it from a very clinical aspect of say, oh yeah, that's very similar, like the stuffed animals versus the trains, you know, and how they line up stuff, you would think, okay, well, that's very similar. And it is. However, with girls, there's so many things that are just considered, oh, that's being a girl. That's just the normal, you know, oh, having, you know, all these Barbie dolls or having all these stuffed animals or collecting things in nature, uh, things like that to where they look at it as if, oh, that's just the normal. That's just them being a little girl. And whereas a boy does the exact same thing, but they do it with more stereotypical boy things, you know, the trains, the toy cars, things like that, to where the way it's lined up, you know, you see it. And there's this disconnect still within the medical fields that understanding that, I guess, the extremity of the amount of the collections and how girls do things. You know, like my, my son and my little brother were the same way on this. When they were little, they would watch fan blades, you know, on the ceiling. They just watch them because they're going around in circles. And so it's that same spinning aspect of the girls would twirl in circles all the time. They would constantly be twirling and spinning. And... They are, it looked at, even though if you look at it from very clinical, okay, that's both spinning. There's both the connection with just watching the spin or feeling the spin. And, but with the boys, it's like, oh, well, they're staring at a fan. That's not typical. Oh, they're girls and they're twirling. That's typical. And so there's, there's a lot still to be learned on how to connect it with girls. So the autism is very much the same in that aspect, but looked at very differently just socially. Hmm. And so it's made, it's made it very hard for girls to receive proper diagnosis and to get the right supports. And also, you know, girls that wind up speaking too much. Well, they think, oh, they're just interested in something. They're just, you know, they're constantly, it's, but it's always about one topic, but they're like, oh, that's just me, a little girl. They're just talkative. They don't see it as, oh, they're talking about one topic that they're really interested mm -hmm. in, that's it. And then girls, 
are also taught from a very early age, and I'm sure you've heard this term before, to mask. We copy after other girls because we're told this is the social norm. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you get along with the other girls and you're taught to copy. And so girls present in a way as if they are doing the same thing the other little girls are doing. But in reality is it's not coming natural. It's coming as a very rehearsed, scripted scenario that they've learned to behave that way. And then they come home from school a lot of times and parents are like, why is my child so, so all these complaints, you know, child being very overwhelmed, very, you know, frustrated all the time when they're at school, but they don't have the same or at home, but they don't have the same reports at school. And the teacher like, oh, they're great at school. Mm. It's because they're getting home to their comfortable place and they're able to let loose and they're able to, you know, let go of the masking. And so parents are seeing something very drastically different than what the schools are seeing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something um, that I've I've seen and kind of heard that that is it's almost like two different children because mm-hmm. that effort of being appropriate for school and and kind of fitting in, then as soon yeah when they get home they can't maintain it and they have that sort of come down from it really of yeah. of trying to be someone that they're not to try and fit in. I think also with girls, um, they tend to be more kind of nurturing and you sometimes have that girl who's like the mother the mother hen and she'll kind of look after the other girls so I think there's something in that as well that that maybe they kind of get scooped up and kind of looked after a little more because again that's how girls are kind of socialized to be yeah absolutely yeah you're taught a very boys are taught oh just be boys and have fun and go do what you do and it's okay for them to be children longer and girls are taught very early on to socially acceptable and how to behave and you know, to be a part of different groups and things like that, where fairy looked at differently, just socially. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I could talk about this like all day. with you. Um, I wonder if you've got anything that you, you kind of wish that parents knew or that you wish that people just generally knew about autism. I think just like, you know, kind of like you mentioned before we get go, autism presents very differently to person, you know, from person to person. And that just to be accepting and understanding that you see a child, you know, throwing a tantrum in the store, that it's not always what you think it might be. Yes, it might just be that they're throwing a tantrum because they wanted a chocolate bar, or it might be that they're overwhelmed by the lights. And from someone looking outside in, you can never know the difference. Mm. And just to understand that, you know, each parent is trying their best and to be accepting of each other. And if ever you have a concern about your child's development no matter how small or trivial that might seem that definitely speak to your doctor yeah absolutely thank you so much um for sharing that so i have um some set questions i ask everyone that that comes on and i'd love to hear your thoughts on these um and my first one is what brings you joy in your life for me it's spending time with my children um yeah we do a lot of things that you know revolve around nature and you know i talked ahead of time we have animals um ducks and chickens and dogs and a little bit of everything it feels like and so uh, we really have a a common interest of getting outside and enjoying nature and spending that time together yeah awesome awesome and yeah if anyone can hear a little chirping through that's the uh, <laughs> that's a, a, a baby duck and it's surrogate chicken mother um, yes. which we were talking about beforehand um awesome uh, so my next question is what makes life meaningful for you yeah, I mean, it's just definitely that kind of same answer almost in a sense, that sense of family and support and just having, you know, my kids are the reason I get up every morning and, you know, just 
the joy that I see in their development and their growing and who they are becoming as little, little tiny adults. <laughs> you know, it's just something that definitely brings me joy to watch that and just see who they are as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so my next two questions are around our kind of overarching topic on the podcast, uh, which is mental well-being. So the first one is what does mental wellness mean to you? Yeah, taking care of yourself. I mean, really, it's that, you know, we talked about that, taking a walk each day, taking the time that, you know, just to reset and balance yourself and make sure to be able to communicate with others and not let yourself get so overwhelmed and stuck in your own head. Because mm. that's a big thing is I think we all do that. We forget to take care of ourselves and again, we get stressed and it's, it becomes a vicious cycle and it's just learning to each day kind of reset yourself yeah awesome I think you've actually answered my next question my follow-up anyway which is what you do for yourself to look after your mental well-being yeah you know I mean it's kind of it's a combination of things it's you know it's getting outside but also making sure to talk to a friend each day um spend time with just my husband and I even if it's you know five ten minutes on the porch you know something just to kind of reset and unwind when I can I'll watch a good tv show if I get a Netflix binge on or something <laughs> um but that doesn't happen as often as it should but it's always nice when it can mm. and yeah just taking a couple extra minutes sometimes to just relax and read a book when I can yeah yeah awesome thank you uh, so my next question this one's uh, sometimes a bit of a challenge um and that's can you describe your own mindset <sighs> you know I think just, I think I've said before in a sense, but it's kind of the grace and space. It's just remembering to give yourself and others that understanding and acceptance that everybody's on a different part in their journey. Mm. And it's okay to, for those things not to look perfect. And just giving yourself another space too that, you know, we all need time together. We all need time for ourselves. And, you know, by remember trying to remember those little things as a way to just kind of keep yourself somewhat balanced. Mm. I love that grace and space. I can, I can just imagine myself, you know, if you're getting stressed, just kind of taking a breath and going grace and space, grace and space. <laughs> like It's a reminder. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So my, my next question is one of my favorite ones to ask because um, I'm very curious and I ask everyone that comes on to leave us with one to three top tips of things that we can try. So you um, can do general ones. You could tailor them to parents. You could tailor them to people parenting uh, and you're a diverse child. Totally up to you. But if you've got a top one to three tips. Yeah. So I think my top tip is coming up with routines and schedules. And that can be whether you are just, you know, a single person living on your own or, you know, a, a large family that having some routines and schedules in place takes away a lot of stressors that if you know what's coming in, you know, what's to expect and what's going to be happening, it kind of takes away that mental stress to wonder, oh, what all do I have time to get done today? What, you know, I'm making sure Obviously, leaving room in that routine and schedule also to give yourself time off, to give yourself a breather, whether it's watching TV or something. But the biggest thing that I've learned, especially, you know, from the parenting aspect of having those routines in place makes life so much easier. It really does. And it doesn't have to be, you know, very strict minute by minute routine. Sometimes it's very general. But I mean, even um, even growing up, we had dinner at the same time every day, no matter what day of the week it was. 
or if we were at home or we were going to a restaurant. Yeah, but we knew what well, this is when dinner was going to be. So there was never this question of, hey, mom, when's dinner? Hey, you know, when are we going to eat? Oh, I'm hungry. Should I grab a snack now or should I wait for dinner? You always knew what well, dinner was at this time. So then you could, you know, make your expect, you know, all the other questions were answered in a sense. Like, okay, well, if it's 4.30 and you're hungry, you don't take a snack right now because mom's going to still make you eat dinner. Mm. <laughs> and so having those routines in place, I think just are beneficial to everyone. Hmm. there's a lot of um kind of security in in routines so isn't it kind of just knowing what is expected it's less stress if you know those things like when you're going to eat you don't even have to worry about it you're like well what time is it oh I'm not eating yet (laughs) exactly yeah just it takes away so many what ifs and stressors and frees up your brain to be able to do everything else you need to do in your day yeah I definitely feel like I need more routines. I'm getting into like a morning routine and that does actually make me feel lots better in the morning. But like in the evenings, it is all over the place. And so that kind of going, what am I going to make for food? When are we, When is it going to be? I don't know. <laughs> it's just unnecessary stress. That I probably sh- could do that. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I think absolutely, as you said, not just for families, but for anyone. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, I'm throwing in a new question that I'd like to ask people. Um, so I've, you can't see, but I've got tons of books behind me and I'm very, <laughs> it's one of my things, like they're all, they're organized in my own way, not in like any other kind of intelligible system. My partner once moved some books when we moved and I <laughs> <laughs> got in trouble. Um, and um, I love to read, basically, is my point. <laughs> and I'm asking people if they've got a kind of recommendation of a book or a TED talk or something that you really love and that you would recommend that, that people kind of well, check out. Well, I love all of Temple Grandin's books. Um, I'm sure you've probably read a few over time by now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, she's kind of done some more recent edits to it, but her Thinking in Pictures books is such a wonderful book to get an idea whether you're a parent of an autistic child, you are autistic yourself, or you're just wanting to understand autism more and how it might affect others. Um, That's just a great book in general, just to get, she does such a good, a great job of just explaining things, um, just how her brain works. And while how her brain works might not be the same for every individual with autism, it gives you such a better understanding. And so right now, that's one of my, one of my favorite books of hers right now. Yeah, I've got a few of her books on my, my autism shelf. Um, and she's got a few TED Talks as well. So if uh, for anyone listening, yeah. if reading's not so much your thing. Uh, have you seen the film about her with um, Claire Danes? I have not. Um, I've, I've considered it, but I'm not big on film. Hmm. Um, I do like to read more than I do um, on film. And I have heard... Um, her mother and her both speak a little bit on it and so there's a lot of things that I know that are already I kind of know in advance like what's accurate and what's not so accurate um, so now that I've heard more on that I might just you yeah. know going into it because that's my big thing is that film and book are never the same mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so I'm always the type to like oh I'll read if, if it's on film I have to read a book first because I don't want to you know yes. ruin it for the other way <laughs> do you know that I haven't seen um Gone Girl yet because I've got the book to read and it's like I don't want to like see the film until I've read the book exactly because it's always different and your perspective like how you perceive the book and the characters you don't want that to be influenced by the film 
I don't know if you do this, but I have some films. So for example, um, I have, uh, I really like Jane Austen. So I have a particular version that I like. So there's like a BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, which is like five hours long, but that is the version because everything is perfect. And I cannot watch another version because it won't be right. I yeah. don't even want to want to watch it. <laughs> so. Yeah, because once you've read a book and you have, yeah, you know all the details of a book and then it's like, oh, they didn't put that in there. Oh, that's not how that goes. And that's all you're thinking about while watching it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, you're not that person. The other person's that person. Like, I don't um, but there's sometimes um, I've got like um, some films and books are very different, but you can like both as like almost like two different things. And yeah. so sometimes, yeah, sometimes I get really upset. I'm like, that's just not right. <laughs> I think it's how favorite of a book it is. I think that's what it really comes down to. If it's something that's become very near and dear, you're like, no, that's not correct. And others, it's like, oh, that's cool. It's a different version. Okay, that's nice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, like I love, love, love The Lord of the Rings. And the film is different, but still awesome. But I've yeah. not watched all of The Hobbits. I've only watched one because that is way too different and like stretched out. So like yeah. Lord of the Rings, it's cool because it's still awesome. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we've gone off on a tangent now. But it's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my, oh, I think I'm actually at my, my final question, which is where people um, can find you. So where can they find uh, your blog and uh, all of that stuff? Yeah, so the website, The Mom Kind, um, M-O-M kind.com and then um, most of all my social media handles are uh, the mom kind as well so Facebook Instagram um, I did recently start uh, TikTok um, <laughs> over this pandemic time period I think as most of us have at that and so that one's actually my name Alicia Trotwine um, but yeah and so everyone just kind of find me those different places wherever kind of works best for them and share a little bit of the same and a little different according to each platform yeah awesome yeah so we'll absolutely link in the um in the show notes and when we post on social media so people can find you uh, through there as well alicia thank you so much um for joining me i really enjoyed chatting with you and um i really enjoy talking about autism anyway um, <laughs> so we could have probably spent ages um on that but yeah thank you so much well, thank you for having me hey you're welcome So a massive thank you again to Alicia for joining us and sharing it with us today. Um, and if you are interested in finding out more, then definitely, definitely check out Alicia's blog and everything that she shares there. Uh, a couple of places to go in the UK for more general information, resources and support uh, are the National Autistic Society um, and they have some information about kind of what autism is. There is also on the NHS website some information about autism and getting support and um, that kind of thing. And also Ambitious About Autism are just a couple uh, of organisations. There are more. There are more worldwide. Um, but there, there are a couple that I, that I thought I'd share. Um, and also there is... I, I've seen in uh, in the UK on Facebook and this is not I think it's just a community run group um, around ADHD and autism parents and also individuals on the spectrum it's something I'm in um, and there's that kind of community support in there so there are places to kind of connect with other people and to get supports that, that you can check out um, and as I mentioned at the beginning with my coaching, I do coach people who are neurodiverse, um, and it's actually one of the areas, you know, in, when I was teaching, a lot was 
supporting young people to really understand themselves uh, possibly their diagnosis because sometimes there can be a lack of support to really kind of understand what that what that actually means um, but also that like who am I <laughs> which for any young person is sort of uh, one of the areas that I like to support and kind of coach around and, and not just young people with adults as well because when we go through life transitions and big life events that can really unsettle us and our kind of sense of self so as I, I think I mentioned previously, it's something I'm making an effort to mention more frequently when it is true, as it is now. Um, really jumbled way of getting to it, but I, I do have a couple of coaching spaces available at the moment. So if you are interested in some coaching support around prioritising mental well-being, how you feel about yourself, if you're feeling stuck, if you've had a bit of that kind of lost sense of self, all those kind of things... Um, are things that I can support around and, and kind of coach around. So check out our website, www.psykehe.co.uk. Um, and you can also send us a DM, connect with us across social media. We are at Psyche Coaching, P-S-Y-K-H-E, Coaching, or one word, on Instagram and Facebook. So I'd love to hear from you and connect with you on there. That's everything uh, for today. Again, if you've enjoyed the show um, and you're continuing to tune in and listen, thank you. I really appreciate you for taking the time to join us. And it would really mean a lot if you would consider rating and reviewing and sharing the show. Uh, And you can also vote for us in the Listener's Choice category for the British Podcasting Awards at the moment. Uh, Honestly, I have no idea when the deadline is, (laughs) but I'm just mentioning it because it's a fun, fun thing to do. But that is everything for today. I will be back on Wednesday for um, another fun episode. Uh, I feel like we're in we're in youth a fair amount this week. We're talking about youth mental health, um, I believe, with Michael on Wednesday, uh, if my knowledge of my schedule is correct. Uh, if not, hey, it'll be a you know, potluck, a lucky dip. But um, I really hope you have a good couple of days and I will speak to you on Wednesday. Until then, as always, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.